Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 27th of August 2017. Have you ever wondered what a lifetime is? What do they mean by a lifetime? And generally it means anything from 40 years age of age or so up to about 70 years of age, a lifetime. It's not long at all. It's amazing because we're humans, we need a lot of input into our minds to keep it awake, basically. And if we don't get enough input to keep us awake, we, we, we start daydreaming. That, that's what the, all the so-called experts are always studying us say. And therefore, you have not just books to keep us occupied. Very few folk read any today. There's television today and video and computerization, internet and so on. And it's the same thing, though, because it's also a weapon. It's a tool and a weapon into your mind. And because you have this craving for input, basically, distractions and so on. And therefore, quite naturally, those who control the world, and we do have controllers, which you don't vote for, but they exist, all right. And they make sure that you're, you're given lots of things to occupy your minds and also as you're doing it, you're you're pretty well brainwashed. You're updated with your political correctness. What's next? What's new? And most folk will find it works awfully well on them. In fact, they question nothing at all if it's promoted from the top. But a lifetime is so short, really, isn't it? For us, as humans, we think it's a long... When you're young, it seems a long time. A lifetime, wow, I'll never get old, I'll never... I'll never get to that age, and I'll never blah, blah, blah. It's strange that, though, isn't it? It's, but it's a built-in kind of survival mechanism and defense mechanism not to sit and fret or be depressed. Otherwise, you would. Just, your hair starts turning gray prematurely with the state of the world and all the rest of it. But our lifetimes tend to flash in when you think about it. And a good chunk of your lifetime is spent sleeping, some more than others, even when they're walking. But that's another story. You'll find, though, that the, those who run the world and have it all sussed out with all their think tanks and their study groups that work on us all the time, and trainers as well, they, they actually know how they can get different parts of their agenda. Their ongoing, it's a never-ending story, their agenda through, and how many years it will take for each part of it. This all came from the industrial era and the big industrial systems that were in existence in the 1800s. When they brought in people for efficiency, and they were experts in efficiency, supposedly, and they'd study the workers and find faster ways to do each part of the job. Time in motions, used to call it, experts. Getting more out of you for the same amount of money. And that's going on to this present day, of course. But really, that didn't stop just with, with the workplace. It, it was meant to go into all of society. And from it, too, they knew that they could plan changes and make it happen throughout different generations. They could get a lot done in one lifetime, but they also knew that certain parts of the big agenda shouldn't be known to the public in any one particular generation. They didn't want blowback, so you simply say nothing about what's really going on, for instance. And 
the big boys, as I mentioned before, for instance, this group, this strange group that has a, an inner party and an outer party called the Royal Institute for International Affairs, Dash Council on Foreign Relations. And it's also got a European Institute for International Affairs for all the, the politicians in the, the EU Parliament. Now, to be in the, the group, actually, you have to have already sworn allegiance to having global governance. And so the same with the Council on Foreign Relations. This organization had members of the Communist Party, every kind of party you can imagine. In fact, they didn't care about dictators either. And they had them in their, their organizations as far back as the 60s, 1960s, and probably before too. They use all types of people that have got power in any particular government or, or nation, and they'll use them. But the thing is, they must all swear allegiance to the global governance principle. And they work towards it generation by generation. A lot can be done in one generation, but as I say, especially when you, 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 you keep them busy, the people busy or worried, or in wars, for instance. War is a great time for getting change through. Carl Quigley said you can get more done on a social level, a scale, with change in five years of war than 50 years of peace, where you simply are left to use propaganda so, uh, and marketing to convince the public to change their ways or behave this way or that way or whatever. But under wartime scenarios, you can really ram things through because under the guise of saving you all, they can basically take all your rights and freedoms away and make you even change your diets, which they certainly did during World War Two, And that can all be done again, too. And it will be done again, by the way, because they've already been pushing so much of their time and energy into getting the public to eat vegetarian meals, basically, and to do away with, with the meat industry. I say for themselves at the top, because the ones at the top want the animal protein because they say they can get far, far more from it than they can with substitutes with nuts and all the rest of it. Anyway, that's a different story, but the fact what I'm getting at today is your lifetime is, is really a blip, a blip in time. And as you go through life, you'll always have this kind of halfway measure, this vague thing in your mind uh, that, that this is where you're going to get to, and from then on you'll start declining into old age. But it doesn't really happen like that at all. It comes on rather quickly into old age, I think, really. And you'll see yourself um, changing physically and things don't get regenerated in your tissues or whatever it happens to be just as fast. Just like youngsters, you probably remember when you're young and you, you scrape your knees on gravel or something and you get a, a good scab on it and you, and you can't believe, in no time at all, within a week, it's almost healed over and there's no scar left. Well, that changes, uh, even when you're, once you're into your twen- late 20s, that's changing already. And if you do the same thing again, you only have a scar, and it will take longer to heal. Now, the main point that I'm getting to here is that you're kept busy through your entire life with nonsense, a lot of nonsense, really, which is called news. You're never given the real reasons for why things are happening. Never, ever pretty well. Occasionally they'll tell you something which is obvious, like you're at war. And you'll know that when, when people start dying off and around you that you know, and so things like that. But apart from that, the rest of it is, is either spin or slanted news. 
and most of us actually slanted to give you a basic acknowledgement that something is happening in that particular direction, but they'll put a spin on it as to why it's actually happening. That's very common. Because you're not supposed to know the whole story to anything. And that's why you're also given so much entertainment and distractions as well, to make sure your brain's quite happy getting all this stuff thrown at you of, of distractions, but you'll never get the whole story on anything. So that way you don't really... You feel almost that reality is blending into this fiction thing and you're just passing time. And that's what your life becomes, you're passing time. And you know, past time for most your Most folk do that for their entire lives. Rather than think about something... Until they are old, they'll simply pass time. And they wonder where the time went. And then if you if you had access to some of the government in Britain's cameras in people's homes, which they actually have in some folks' homes, by the way, and I've done the stories on them before, if you had them, you could sit and watch those folks from 20, 30 years as they get older and older, watching TV or passing the time, anything, anything, but sit and think about anything. They'll do anything at all except that. And that goes for most people. Plato talked about it. He said that, that for cities, which was the big, the beehives for change, the, the artificial cities basically, because people are not meant to be crammed in to these non, really non-productive, in a natural setting, and non-productive societies. Cities exist to feed off everything around and outside of them. Because they, they can't even feed themselves, everything's brought into them. So whatever they're surviving on is an artificial system, and it's based on money. So the real natural system is either hunting, gathering, and a nomadic life, or, or a basic agrarian society where you would, in small groups, feed yourselves, and there wouldn't be any money. So a city really is the system in which we live today. So in, a, in an artificial system, we before crammed together, you need a lot of entertainment, according to Plato, to keep the people happy. Otherwise, you'll have revolutions and unhappiness galore, which always foments and causes mayhem eventually. So keep them happy, keep them entertained, and keep them full of, of really fictional things to think about. And that's why they had you know, plays going around, actual theatre plays and stage plays going around in ancient Greece to, in a regular schedule too, to keep them all happy. And for maybe weeks or a month in between different plays, the people would do nothing but talk about what they saw and discuss it, etc. Just like we discuss television today in different plays or movies. Anything to keep you from <laughs> talking about really what really matters in your life. Now, those who control the world make sure you've got lots of distractions, as I say, while they themselves literally hire full-time people, professionals from academia mainly. In fact, most of them are recruited in academia for different think tanks, and they work on different aspects of the big, big plan, the big, the great work, you know, the big plan for the world and for all of us. And they hire people on all the time as folk are retiring and have spent their whole entire career in these different think tanks. So they can get whatever the premise is, just like any foundation, for instance. If a foundation initially set off in 1800s to, to accomplish this particular goal or, or say five different goals, 
and a hundred years later they're still going, they will accomplish what they set out to do because there's nothing to stop them. As they hire, retire, hire, retire, they eventually get things done. So they work in centuries. That's something to always remember. It's like China. I always think of China as being a good example of a nation which works in centuries, regardless of what seems to be the outward political system of any particular era, it really, in a sense, is unchanging. Because those at the top of China, and China has its leaders too, and it's incredibly rich people as well, who are completely in cahoots with the, with the rich folk who own the rest of the planet. And that's why it works so well, this communist idea. It works awfully well because people will obey their government in a collectivist type society. It's ideal for capitalists. Where, where the people will obey and put up with terrible, terrible conditions, working conditions when compared to the West, that those at the very top can get the, the, the utmost incredible, massive profits for the few. And so it's a fantastic capitalist venture. But, but China itself has, has an, a, a way of working down through centuries. When you go into Indochina and other places, and Malaya and so on, all Malaya, and Indonesia, you'll find most of the dominant people who run their countries financially and in business are pretty well, the vast majority are actually Chinese, even though many of them haven't even been been in China. They were born in these other countries, but they still hold dearly to their own traditions. They teach their own language, they teach their own schooling, they teach Chinese history, and they're awfully successful working with each other. And that's how, that, that's the Chinese way, rather than the military way of invading countries, uh, they can actually expand in a peaceable way, compared to the, the West, which tends to do it rather quickly, then suffers just as fast as well, actually. But anyway, China's a, a good example of working down through centuries. That's why they call it sleeping dragon at one time, because you, you, it, work, it can sleep and snooze, but the mind is ticking away during all these centuries, always ticking. And it's a good analogy of how the system works for the world, because, as I say, these foundations that we have in the West work in a similar fashion, with, with always planning towards a big, big agenda, where they want to be in 50 years' time. Just like, That's where the whole idea from United Nations came from, like five-year plans, 10-year plans, 50-year plans, same in communism. All came from these, this particular group that, that we know at least existed in London and probably other places beforehand too. But in London in the 1800s and into the 20th century, the Royal Institute for International Affairs, there was a, the Lord Alfred Milner group before that that literally ran a world empire using government, using the taxpayers to fund it all. Uh, and reaping the, the harvest and the profit for themselves. It's a club, a very wealthy club with international bankers of the of the London Square Mile, the city of London, uh, involved in it too. Nothing has changed, by the way. <laughs> uh, that's what really runs the world. The idea of money, everything, everything else in the world runs uh, underneath the shadow of the capstone. 
because the, the capstone is at the very top of this money. If you run money, uh, like Rothschild said, give me the charge of, of a nation's wealth, and, and I care not who makes its laws, because obviously you'll make its laws. If every government is coming to you to borrow from you, uh, you can put in your little caveats and say, well, I'll give you this if, you know, but here's what you'll do, and blah, blah, blah. So you're the boss, really. That, that's as simple as that. And during the 1800s, Britain, Britain really ran a good part of the empire. They had the people working furiously in making armaments, shipping you know, for the navy, and so on and so on. And armies across the world, they always kept a lot of work to the minimum and back home in their countries, kept unemployment to a, a, good, a good high rate to make sure that there was lots of people for cannon fodder. And they'd send them across the whole planet to police the, the world, as they say. But really, it was armies. And they would conquer the world for their masters. And they were all... T- the, the beautiful thing is, when, you, when you're in a nation, any nation, you're taught that you're living the greatest country in the world. It doesn't matter what country it is. Uh, they'll tell you, uh, those who own the country, that you're living the best one in the whole planet. Bertrand Russell affirmed this, basically, in one of his books. He said the same thing. He said that every nation will tell its people they live in the best country in the world with the best health care and the best this and the best that. And they'll believe it simply because no one else has told them anything different. And that's how it works. Every, every people who, work, who go into militaries in every nation believe they're living in the best country. And they're made to believe they're part of something. That's a trick, too. Bring the ordinary folk in uh, as a foot soldier or whatever it happens to be and make them feel proud and respectable and they're part of something big. And uh, for the first time in their lives, they they feel like they're somebody. That's like the ad says, be somebody, be all that you can be. It's it's very clever, really. So much so that you'll give your life for it, even though you shouldn't be in the countries around the world that you are in. (laughs) You never say, why am I here? And who benefits? And then the taxpayers pay your your salaries, pay for all the upkeep of the military, from from shoelaces all the way up to wherever it happens to be. And the, the taxpayers handed the tab back home for railroads across the world, to make sure that all the raw resources come out for the big corporations that exist in your countries, because that's really who's, who are the, at the top there, with the bankers or the big corporations. No secret at all, in fact, but it's, it's fascinating to, to, to actually understand it and, and, and actually live through a good part of it happening and watching it happen still today. Plus, who benefits? You always say, who benefits? You get, there's always someone benefits. Don't think that your nation is never at war with some country because they're bad people, like they tell you. Oh, they're bad. Like George Bush Jr. said about Saddam. Well, you know, he had nothing to do, actually, with 9-11, but we took him out anyway because he's a bad man. And so, so <laughs> that was the excuse for supposedly. But it wasn't. That wasn't the real reason. Of course it wasn't. Who benefits from in that area? Who benefits? It's quite simple. And never mind the, the companies and corporations too, but who benefits? And you'll, and you'll find too that Kissinger talks about really putting people back to the Stone Age 
so the, and, and so destroying them from first world countries in a sense, at least in the Arab kingdom, until they'd be no longer a threat to anybody. They, they would never get back together again uh, under a, 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 a government which they'd agree upon. So you keep them stirred up. And that's happened in all the countries they had on the list at the PNAC group. So as I say, but there's always other people benefit too. Back in the 90s and then into the 2003 or four, I put out uh, some of the stories from Britain, for instance, and they showed you they had articles and diagrams of pipelines they wanted to put through the entire Middle East for private corporations. And naturally, those people who are, are, are shouting loudest for the wars and so on just happen to work for the big corporations and they, they reap the harvest. Nothing changes. Nothing changes. Whether you're taking stuff out of India under the British regime in the 1800s, late 1800s, or you're taking it out of the Middle East under oil or natural gas or whatever it happens to be, nothing really changes. But the, the, the fact is big corporations... Big corporations, I mean big ones, run the world underneath still the shadow of the capstone. And the capstone has the money boys at the very, very top. And the money boys really is a small club at the very top. And yeah, a lot of them are often related to each other. And that's standard too. Even in government you'll find that in high civil service, they like to employ relatives and, and children who've grown up of previous civil servants. They can trust them more. It's the same thing with the money boys as well. You have the money families, naturally, who are completely intermarried and keep the money together. But it's always to keep the big secrets together, too. They don't want the public or anybody else knowing the fact that the whole thing's a con game. And of course it's a con game. If you could live quite happily back in, say, 1950, on, on maybe £10 a week, that's pretty good, actually. Actually, that's quite a lot by then. And now you need almost about 800 to 1,000 pounds per month. Come on, it's, it's a joke. It's a jo- they keep, uh, your money becomes like the lira you know, or the peso. And you think it's quite natural. Why? Because they keep, no one said, those figures of authority don't say this is unnatural and ridiculous. And if you don't say it, then you think it must be natural. That you need more and more of these, these numbers whether it's electronic or paper or plastic today, doesn't make any difference. You need more and more of them to pay for the same amount of goods. Every year it goes up and up. And you think that's quite normal. What a trick, eh? But getting back to the big system, your lifetime is a short time. And yet those at the very top will accomplish a lot in your lifetime. And it isn't until you look back and say, my God, they did this and 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 this. And, and you paid for it all pretty well. Generally, if it's war or whatever it happens to be, you paid for it. And you pay through your taxes. You pay when the banks plunder you. And they're given permission to plunder you. And, they keep do- and it's going to get more and more and more as the, as the inflation goes up and up and up. And the next one will be bail-ins, where they simply take your money from the bank and steal it. And that's been made to be quite legal today. That tells you a lot about your government and natural system you're living under when they can actually legitimise via a private club that belongs to the Royal Institute for International Affairs. Remember that the Royal Institute for International Affairs dash Council on Foreign Relations set up the World Bank. They set up the IMF. They set up all these institutions to run the world. 
and they're private. And they're privately owned, all these institutions. You pay money into it, you're nation more, but it's, they're privately owned. And they're not there for charity either, <laughs> anything but. But the World Bank gave them all the permission, and the government's all signed into law, that the next time it happens, the next time they, they con, you know, and steal all the mortgages and stuff and start flipping them all like crazy like the last time, then rather than just get the, the bailouts by the taxpayer, they can actually steal the money off the depositors, and that's called bail-ins. But mind you, when you read through it, they're allowed to do both then. They, they've got it always. They, 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 come on, your government's looking after you. When, when, they, when they okayed, every country signed on to this. So they all signed on that, that the next time they're going to steal all your money, and that's okay. And you, you people will go out and vote again. <laughs> next time, <laughs> well, they say you never learn, eh? But we're living truly in massive changes as, as we go down through this, this phase we're in today. Nothing's happening today that wasn't planned a long time ago. Nothing. The massive immigration was planned a long, long time ago, right down to the time they started to open the borders up and really let them pour in. Planned a long time ago. And many, many excuses and reasons given for it, of course. But also, it's curious to see that happening. And and all the ridiculous excuses are given the domestic populations. Well, there's not enough of you having children, which is nonsense too, by the way. It's just they don't have a lot of children. There's plenty There's plenty getting born. But if you don't, don't look for the truth from the born liars at the very top. They have agendas. And it's when they've got agendas to push through, then any lie will do or any collection of lies will do. Because at the same time they're telling you that, they've got, they've got articles out in Australia, propaganda pieces, telling the people, oh, how wonderful it is to have one-child one families. Well, which is it? Make your mind up. Is it, there's not enough of them, or, or you want them to have less? Huh? Well, they're, they're getting Australia ready and New Zealand ready, whether they know or not, but I'm telling them now anyway, <laughs> that you're all going to get lumped into the, the one-child policy of China. Because this year for Pacific Relations, which is part of the Relationship for International Affairs, who set up that whole region area a long time ago, and who are still working on it, planned it that way, that China would be the dominant partner in that group over there. And so then we have the Americas group, they're still not really lagging behind. They just pretend you still have nations, but technically you don't really. And... Uh, you, so you've got the three trading blocks for the world, Europe, the Americas, which also incorporates the Caribbean countries, and you have the Far Eastern group as well. That's how it was planned a long time ago. Karl Marx talked about it, by the way, for those who think it's all a recent uh, idea. And you'll find that the same organizations I'm talking about run all the sides, and they ran communism, they also backed Nazism for a while to watch it and study it. Because they do like this collectivist idea of a population doing what they're told. Uniformity. Uniformity is what they like. And that's what, also what they had in the communist system. Where the individual doesn't count at all. That's the whole message of communism. You're all a cog in the machine and you do your part. But you technically are not worth anything as an individual. The collective is what matters. Nothing has changed. So unfortunately, very few folk think through their life as they're living it. 
never mind look back in the past and try to work things out as to why things happened in a certain way. Very few folk do that today. That's something you always find if you're a thinker, and there's thinkers out there, all right, but you'll, you'll often find that you expect others to be the same as yourself, but they're not. There's, there are the perfectly conditioned out there who are quite happy with everything, no matter what kind of system they live in or any country. You'll find happy folk in all of them. And you'll find the morose type as well. And you'll find, but, but really, there's very few folk sit and really think and who are really aware of what's happening. Most folk get caught up in the movements which those at the top have created for you to fall into. Whereas to agitate as a group or whatever, most folk, that's the only time they think they get involved in what they think is reality, when they're getting used. And there's no shortage of them getting used. You'll notice that. You've got to go back to Bernays. Mr. Bernays, who was the nephew of Sigmund Freud, who were both involved in the same movement, actually. And as a movement that really planned to change the world and eventually dominate the psyche of the people. Bernays was going to do it through making them buy things which big corporations wanted them to buy. At one time, for instance, Bernays did work for companies that would, they would have to put out their, their different products, automobiles or whatever, or even lawnmowers, and tell you why you should buy this. And the old dads are fantastic when you look at them, really, because the, the people come on pretty song, but there was no uh, crazy, zany stuff. They, they had to, here's the product, here's a guy looking very respectable, and he would tell you why you should buy this product. And he, by that, he would go into the work that was put into it, and the materials, etc., and so on. And the word got around very quickly amongst people in those days as to, well, that's a good product, I've got one of them, blah, blah, blah. It would travel so quickly, that kind of... And that's how they sold things. And they made good profits. The companies made good profits. But when Bernays got involved in it, he says, he says, no, he says, rather than make good products to suit the people, alter the people to suit your product. And that's when they started selling you fantasies with inferior junk used in whatever it was they were selling you. And they sold you the fantasies until a toothbrush and toothpaste gives you an orgasm and everybody's smiling and happy. Wow, whoa. And so use sex, 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 sex for everything. And as they're doing that and selling you fantasies, Right down to the present day, look at how the vehicles and everything else have gone down to junk. Massive profits to sell everything. Massive profits. Like never before. Because everything that used to be made of metal is pretty well made of plastic now. And we accept that. So we've been changed to suit the product. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Last weekend, I had to go into town. And I just drove in a car park. I was going to drive away. I started the vehicle. And, yeah, the, the gear shift would just go up and down through the range. But it wasn't registering on the dash, and it wasn't engaging the gears. 
I thought, and it was a pouring wet day, of course. I thought, well, here we go. And what it was, I pretty well suspected it because the darn transmission gave me problems less than two years ago. It cost me a stack of money for the darn thing. But they didn't put new parts on the different linkages and so on. And it was a linkage underneath the floor where it had come off. And, you know, it's hardly any room to get underneath this particular vehicle at all. And a temporary fix was made on it to get me home. And then when I managed to look up what went wrong with it and see what it was, a plastic thing, a pop-in plastic thing is what keeps keeps the, the gear shift lever at the bottom engaged with the, the cable transmission underneath the car. A plastic right next to the exhaust pipe. Plastic. And it's a, such a common, common thing to happen. The, the plastic eventually busts off and probably melts with the, or breaks and crumbles as it gets hot and cold, hot and cold. And away it goes. Underneath the vehicle too, where they get salt and everything else in the winter. But everywhere you look in the vehicle, where they could have used metal, they've used darn plastic. And you wonder why the gulf between the, the ultra-rich and the, and the ordinary folk has been it's beyond a chasm or beyond the Grand Canyon today. Because I've never made profits like they make today. Since so many of the parts are made in China. I'm sure the plastic parts of this sort of thing are too. And... You know, the poor, the poor idiot that has the car has to pay through the nose for ridiculous cheapening of all the, the, the parts that should be made to last for years and years and years. But we accept it, don't we? And I can remember that. It's only the last 15 years is it's, it really sped up. This idea of, of accepting the fact that, oh, your vacuum cleaner is now all plastic. And oh, it'll last you maybe a year or two years and bust and you throw it in the garbage. And you, you, you start to accept that as normal. So Bernays is right. You train the public to suit your product. Everything's like this today. And believe you me, it's not a difficult thing when you understand psychology and behaviorism. It's not difficult if you've got the right, the right resources and means of communicating to the public. And they all do today with mass communication to change the whole of society's behavior in a certain one way or another. It's quite easy, actually. Quite easy. Now, it's the same thing with all these, these hidden forces, as Freud called them and Bernays called them, uh, psychic forces that are under the, the surface of the consciousness, but always stimulating you, motivating you to do things impulsive and so on. Always working and often at odds with each other too and having conflicts. So you buy something to make yourself happy, etc., etc. So by, by understanding all that, you can make folk happy as well until they'll start buying stuff. <laughs> and every ad is based on fear, generally. Fear of getting old or getting wrinkles or getting something. Here's how you prevent it. Here's how you prevent it. And, and same with the medical industry. They're always selling their big pharma products and television, apparently. And then the people are expected to go to doctors and demand these, these miracle drugs, which, of course, is another con. And the same with alternate uh, medical thing or herbalism or whatever. Uh, this could happen to you if you don't eat this or don't eat that or just supplement yourself with that and you'll die. And, and that's how you make yourself. It's, it's very easy. Fear is the biggest motivator of all. Now that's also why they keep all the wars going and the threats of bankruptcy and, and collapsing economies and 
wars of all kinds. Terrorism, of course, is good for it. And that's why they can take and, and plunder you of all your rights and freedoms, which they, which they have done, actually, very successfully, until the folk have settled in and they accept it. It's, it's quite amazing to, to understand it, really. It's amazing to see it in effect and how folk don't really care now. They give out their, their, all their personal data at checkout counters and with whole queues of people behind them listening to them. And it's all quite normal to them now. They've already given up everything that mattered. And once you do it once, then it's easier the next time, the next time, until it's just not a, a formality. And that's how you're being trained. Quite fascinating, really. But just like the junk they put in the car now, instead of using metal, where they should have metal, and making things last, and we're getting back to that one vehicle. I mean, it, it's so common that they have little video clips on it now. And how to repair this darn thing with their their cheap little plastic popping things that keep the darn thing together. But you can imagine how many people, not just with this one make a vehicle, but with a whole range of them now, end up having to pay maybe twelve hundred to fourteen hundred dollars to have it picked up and towed off to some place, because that's what they charge up here. And and then you have to get a, a taxi home. And then another taxi back in if the thing's been repaired, you know. All because a cheap piece of garbage that shouldn't even be seen in a vehicle. It shouldn't be anywhere near a vehicle. And there's no comeback for all this stuff for the public. There really isn't. Because big business is in cahoots with government, and we all know that, for goodness sake. Come on, let's not, let's not kid ourselves. Let's stop kidding us. Oh, we, we have the rights. We have, oh, come on. Says who? <laughs> Again, back to Bertrand Russell. You'll believe you live in the greatest country in the world because your government will keep telling you so. Well, you take, for instance, the Lord Alfred Milner Group that I've mentioned so many times. It was a very secretive organization. At one time, they didn't know what to call it. People that had an idea existed. In, even in British government. Winston Churchill, for instance, he was out the loop at one point. He may mention in Parliament, he says, who is this group that's making all our laws, who, who are bringing us into wars, etc.? And they're private. And, of course, it was Lord Alfred Milner. And part of their idea, too, was when they took countries over with the British Empire, apart from getting the public to pay for all through taxes and so on, so government was awfully useful for that. And then the government also had different propaganda departments to make you feel your your country was doing it out of charity. They were helping the poor people in backward countries. You know, that's what they would, t- they would tell the people. And so, as they plundered them, really, for all the resources, a, few, a handful, really, of massive corporations, even off that day, ran the whole darn system. Quite some. I've even heard people say, well, if Britain hadn't done it, somebody else would have. And they're quite right. They would have. Because it's a worldwide organization, the Milner Group. And their idea was to create a world government based on the same system, which had worked awfully well on the British folk who hadn't a clue, calling it democracy. And the British folk had no idea that they really did swallow this great propaganda that somehow, even even the working class, we, we were over in those countries helping the poor souls and, and bringing civilized and all that rubbish, you know? As, uh, again, the small group that ran all these corporations just plundered these countries financially. 
quite something. And the idea was eventually, which they had already planned too, after World War II, for instance, they really put into action, they would start to basically give them what appeared to be a kind of independence. But they still call it today the Commonwealth of Nations. It was Lord Alfred Milner that came up with that slogan as well. Rather than British Commonwealth, the Commonwealth of Nations. But they didn't want to pull out of the countries until they set up the same system of government as Britain, for instance. And again, still linked with Britain under with so many different ties. Eventually, they brought the U.S. in to its full extent with World War II, and then after that, they give the U.S. the job of supplying the militaries and the tax money and so on, because Britain was completely wrung out dry. But not the guys who ran the corporations. <laughs> Countries are awfully, awfully handy for these guys who go down through time managing international corporations. Now just think back a little bit, not too far, for those who are younger. But you can look at that what you've been taught about communism. The idea, again, it was called the Great Experiment, the second one, because the first one was America, the Great Experiment. Could people under the guise in, an, in the early phase actually manage to look after themselves without killing each other, etc.? It didn't take long to prove that it's quite easy to get them killing each other. And they moved on later on to uh, the, the communist, the Bolshevik idea, which was the second experiment where the so-called technocratic elite would run the world under a collectivist-type system, and everything would be in the hands of the state or the central government. And uh, because people were too stupid and, and selfish to, to manage life themselves, they'd have to be forced to work together for the greater good. And when you look at the Soviet system, when it was really coming into, and don't forget the Soviet system and the Soviet countries, the Russia, uh, we and the, the West, you see Canada and the States especially, fed them right until the Berlin Wall fell. The greatest enemy you fed. Think about that. In fact, Canada, the Canadian government and the US government used to compete and even spy on each other and, and intercept each other's calls and plans and so on as they, as they vied for, for the contracts for selling grain to Russia. That was happening in the 90s and in the late 80s. Now, you go back to the Great Depression. Again, the big banks plundered them. Poof. Money doesn't disappear because money consists, when everything goes bankrupt, in real businesses and machine shops and things like that, and factories even. So they don't disappear. Someone gets them all. And the big bankers do. And then, of course, they can resell, etc. It's, it's awfully lucrative to have bank crashes every so often. And then we bail them out and all the rest of it. And now they can steal your money as well. Wonderful, isn't it? And you th- how come, as you progress, as they call it, progress, that doesn't, pro- it gets worse, actually. And they get more freedoms and rights to do it again. It tells you an awful lot. But anyway, look at government today. And look at the organizations that rampage through the world with their color revolutions working either with the CIA or on behalf of the CIA and MI6 and maybe even the Mossad too. I think they're all combined, all these organizations and myself. 
because George Soros is untouchable, and he definitely has been using his groups, well-trained, funded groups, with with headquarters over in some of the old ex-communist countries, where they train these people. They had articles in the early 200s about them training these people to go into the big, big demonstrations, the anti-globalist demonstrations, wearing the black gear and so on. Television had, had programs on them, and they trained them how to, 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 to start the riots, etc., and get all the crowds involved in the rioting. You only need a few to get it started. It literally is uh, basically a, a more advanced form of anarchism, trained anarchists. But, but really with a goal of what they want to get out of it in the end. And nobody stops them. If you were to set up an organization that says, okay, we're going to have mass demonstrations and riots, you'd be in the slammer so fast. But how come Soros can get away with this kind of stuff? He's only one of them, as I say. And it's because they're completely interwoven with what's called this organization called the CIA, which is compartmentalized, remember. There's no doubt about it in my, my mind at all. And so you go into that. Then you go into, as the bank crashes in the 1920s and 30s, and Roosevelt got in, FDR, and Roosevelt was thanked and praised by the Soviets and salented it for creating a similar system for getting the people back to work with these mass armies of workers. There's a name for it, too. The taxpayers funded them, of course, to build roads and they worked in the forestry and things like that. The same as they did in Russia, where the state was in charge of everything. And it's so similar, it's uncanny. And it's not by chance either, by the way. <laughs> and then during World War II, don't forget too, in Russia, everybody, including the school children, had to do so much time on the land in farms. Etc. And it was, they were doing the same thing in the Western countries into World War II and beyond that, actually, in Britain. The land armies and things like that. And the children, too, they got time off from school to work on the land and the farms. They were encouraged to do so. That's not by chance, folks. But you don't call it communism when it happened in Britain, you know. You, it was looked upon with a good face, just like the people in Russia would look upon a good face of them doing the same thing in their country. Terminology can really confuse you, eh? And then again, if, if people don't use the right terminology, you won't connect it. But anyway, uh, yeah, the, the New Deal was a new system, different from the old system of the Constitution of America, for instance. It was called the New Deal. Here's the New Deal. Wham to the Old Deal. That's what it was. But anyway, World War II brought a lot of them out of the countries out of the Depression, only because they used all the tax money of the public to build wartime factories for armaments that then were handed to the big corporations after the war, some of them even during the war, who kept hold of them after the war and started supplying other things for the general public. But during that period, too, they'd already planned at the Royal Institute for International Affairs to bring in this global system and eventually build up China and, and move everything over to China. The, 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 the plan never stops. Never stops. And the public pay for it all. 
And now that there's time to, that we're in the 21st century, remember? This is the century of change. I've mentioned this so many times, and I don't know if people really, really get what I'm talking about. All the big plans of socialism, communism, academia, the planned society, the scientifically run society, was to happen in the 21st century. The century of change. And you're seeing across the world right now, organized, and I mean very organized, demonstrations and demands to knock down all the past, all the past of the old system, and start anew. But don't call it communism. They won't call it communism. And communism is a handy tool of the capitalists, as they say. They love, they love a system where there's no parties except one, the party in power, like they have in China. And everybody obeys it. It's a perfect society. Do what you're told. Right now in Australia, and I'll put the article up too, they have articles, again, public relations for that, for getting them ready to get absorbed. And isn't it good to have one child family? It's really beneficial, yada, yada, yada. And at the same time, you've got this double speak where there's too many of you. There's too many of you. Or, or there's not enough of you. There's not enough of you. And that's where they've got to bring all the immigration. Well, which is it? Which is it here? Hmm? There's a war upon the people. And the war will have everybody across the world involved, but definitely the European peoples have been targeted massively for a long time. And they're going under without much of a hiccup, actually. And don't think even that the people coming in through the war-torn countries are going to overtake it and somehow have some Islamic state in the future. The boys at the top, if, if they had Islamic state, it's to suit the ones at the top, not to suit the Islamic people themselves. And they will bring down the Islamic peoples as well, gradually, gradually, and just sterility, like they've done with the West, with the food and various other means of doing so. And they will destroy their cultures with the TV and the pornography and drugs and, and everything else. It was awfully successful on the Euro- European countries. It's already happening, actually, in different areas. And they have different uh, help organizations for people whose families are in trouble with all of these things. And no people really are, are of any better are in a better category than other people. Everybody's getting their turn here to be used and then tossed aside. It's a world war, remember. And in this system of the future that we're going into, always, we're always going into the future, they plan to drastically, worldwide, reduce the populations. And you might think, oh, that'll be a long time away. As I say, what's, how long is your lifetime? That's not very long. Look at all the changes you've seen already in your lifetime. And it did not happen by chance. Nothing happens unforeseen. Big, big business employs so many people to always try and project what they see coming down the pike. Well, the world agenda, the big boys at the very top, have lots of specialists constantly, like panels and teams of them, Teams of them, some think tanks, there's more bureaucrats in the think tanks than you have in your federal government for some countries. 
literally looking down the road to make sure that everything they plan will come to pass in its good time. And they're quite right with most of it. And that is the present, really, uh, going into the future, is again the technocratic expert elite running on behalf of the true elite at the very top, the dominant minority, the world, in a, and they run the world in a communistic fashion, socialistic fashion. That's quite something. Now, I'm just going to touch on a few articles before I get off here. Uh, time really flies in. It's so true. It really flies in. But I want to just touch on some of these things. Look up, and I'll put links up, alphabet agencies. It says the alphabet agencies, also New Deal agencies, where the U.S. federal government agencies created as part of the New Deal of President Franklin D. Roosevelt. The earliest agencies were created to combat the Great Depression in the United States and were established during Roosevelt's first 100 days in office in 1933. William Sapphire notes that the phrase gave color to the charge of excessive bureaucracy. Democrat Al Smith, who turned against Roosevelt, said his government was submerged in a bowl of alphabet soup. That's where the term comes from. And many of the people in Roosevelt's cabinet, as we all know, were communists. But the CFR, as quickly talked about, being their historian for them, we don't mind communists and we don't mind dictators and so on. We have all of these people in our organization, for those who haven't quite figured it all out. It says, in total, at least 100 offices were created during Roosevelt's time of office as part of the New Deal. And even the Comptroller General of the United States, who audits what government's accounts declared, he'd never heard of some of them. Ha! <laughs> he never heard some of the accounts. But anyway, it goes on and on and on. And they came out with all these different organizations, as I say. I'll also put up an article, too, to do with the, the Works Progress Administration, which came in in 1939 as the Works Project Administration. And it was part of the American New Deal agency, employing millions of people. So the state was employing millions of people to do public works projects and so on. Very similar to the the com. And again, because they didn't say it was communist, because in the communist system, remember, the state employs everybody (laughs) and supposedly pays everybody too. No joke being that they pretend to to hire you and pay you, and you pretend to work. This is, that's what they mean by the Soviet system. Also, I want to put in something else too. An article that says, Big U.S. banks could see profits jump by 20% with deregulation. And for those who are wondering about things, J.P. Morgan and Morgan Stanley would be the biggest beneficiaries, as, as always. And Goldman Sachs and the rest of them, of course, too. The deregulation could add up to $27 billion of gross profit, the six largest U.S. banks, lifting their annual pre-tax income by about 20%. J.P. Morgan Chase and Company and Morgan Stanley would benefit most from changes to post-crisis banking rules proposed by Donald Trump's administration, with pre-tax profit jumping 22%. And uh, it's all based on discussions with analysts and the bank's own disclosures Goldman Sachs Group Inc. would have the smallest percentage increase, which is about 16%. And this this is what they're doing with deregulation again, of course. Also, this article here, Goldman Sachs' real enemy in its Washington mission, it says here. 
when Lord, <laughs> not Lord, but it's almost close to it, isn't it? Lloyd Blankfein, Goldman Sachs chairman and chief executive, arrived at the, the Rayburn building, Capitol Hill, in 2010. He was battered and bruised. At the time, his bank was viewed as a vivid example of Wall Street misbehavior. I like how they say it's just misbehavior. In the previous months, they had been sued by regulators, flayed by lawmakers, and then damaged by the passage of Dodd-Frank. Mr. Blankfein was going to meet its co-authority, Barney Fink, and so on. And it, goes, it gives you the whole story of that part in it that we had given to us at the time. But it's to show you that if the Obama years were a harsh time for Goldman Sachs in Washington, the election of Donald Trump has provided a new opening. Not only does the president regularly reel against job-killing regulations, he's made two Goldman alumni his point men on financial regulation. And we've got Gary Cohn right now. We've got his, this massive set of regulations built to regulate all banks as if they're equal. But again, yeah, it's business as usual. Everything goes full ahead for the money boys. Another one, too, it says former Goldman Sachs executive hedge fund CEO Steve Mnookin was confirmed as a new secretary of the Treasury Monday with 53-47 votes. Over the years, he's, he's been a Hollywood producer and a Democrat donor who's faced some controversy. And it goes through some of his history here at the CIT group and so on. It's interesting, too, that he's, he's pretty well everything they want at the top, but he's also a, a skull and bonesman as well, naturally. You know. We're still run by the same organizations that have been talking about for years. And it doesn't change. It doesn't change. I'll put up the article, too. Is one child enough for Australians as you get them ready for, you know, big changes again? And that's about it for tonight, I guess, because we're running out of time. It's astonishing, though, isn't it, that when you really see what really is going on, it's the same things that have always been going on. <laughs> this is what's going on. And the same boys and gals in charge of it all, of course. That's how the world really, really is as they give us distractions and they give us little preparatory riots for the Agenda 21 and for the Agenda for the 21st century and the century of change, where all these things eventually will be, will be put through into this, this globalistic planned society where everyone will be working and living in some kind of collectivist system inside their overcrowded, designated parts of the cities. And it's all to come this way. It's all planned this way by our, our betters, our masters, the ones who bring us the great wars and all that, and who benefit from it too, and who get all that, those in academia to spin it off with their think tanks into you know, palatable fairy stories for us all to believe in. From myself, Alan Watt from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your God, or your gods go with you. Mm-hmm.